Welcome to the ninth episode of G.I. Joe, a real American headcast. Uh, the first part of this episode, me and the guys talked a little bit about Free Comic Book Day. We recorded this earlier in the week, and I planned on having this out before now, but due to having a one-year-old that takes my attention and work and my wife and everything else, I just now got this out this morning, which is, in real time, this is actually Saturday morning. Uh, I'm in California, so it's 8.30 my time when I'm getting this out. So, people on the West or East Coast, uh, free comic days already started for you guys. Uh, so, quickly, while you're listening to this podcast, go out to your local comic book shop and pick up a free comic. And while you're there, check out their stock. See what they have. Some have good sales. And even if they don't, take a look at their shop. Buy some comics. Help out your local comic shop. Um, that's enough for now about that. Go ahead and listen to this episode and we'll go into more detail. All right. See you guys on the other side. organization determined to rule the world. Welcome back to our ninth episode of G.I. Joe, a Real American Headcast. As usual, I am your host, Aaron Brotherhead Moss. And joining me, as usual, we have my fellow Joes. We have Ryan Daly. Hey there, Ryan. Hello. Hey, glad you could join us. And also on the line, I think we have Kyle Benning. He's back from his uh, journeys. <laughs> hey, Kyle. Hey, good to be here. Glad, glad to have you back on, man. So... Uh, we're here to talk about G.I. Joe, but before we get to that, uh, this coming Saturday is a little thing known as Free Comic Book Day. Uh, this is, uh, from what I can tell, the 15th anniversary of Free Comic Book Day. Uh, I'm going to talk just briefly about that. 
for more information, you can go to freecomicbookday.com. And uh, they've got more information there on it. And basically, the purpose of Free Comic Book Day is, uh, it's got, from their site, it says it has three main purposes. To introduce everyone to the joys of reading comics, to call back former comic book readers, and to thank current comic book buyers for their continued support. Uh, basically what it is, is stores, I guess they purchase select comic books, and they offer them for free, a little preview of, uh, a sampling of what the comic companies have. And the main purpose is to get new readers into the store. Uh, this year, there's, uh, I think there was like 50 or so comics, uh, up for grabs. Um, reading off Free Comic Book Days, Free Comic Book Days website, uh, they've got two listings, one of gold comics and one they call silver comics. I'm not quite sure the difference on those. Uh, are you guys familiar with any of those terms related to the Free Comic Book Day? Uh, as I understand it, it usually has to do with how many you're allowed to actually acquire for free. Uh, like there sort of be like a tiered system, like some, some stores, some distributors will only let you go in and pick out a certain number of gold comics for free or a certain number of silver comics for free. Um, and you know, just based on the sort of ranking system, gold would be, uh, more premium, usually a higher caliber. And probably a, a more limited quality, I would think. Okay. Or limited quantity, I mean. Yeah, the big thing here is that uh, while it's free comics uh, for the reader, it's definitely not free for the publisher, right. nor for the uh, your your local comic book shop. So um, I've been to comics shops that do it uh, different ways. Uh, there are two fairly local shops, and they both handle it uh, differently. One of them is you can take one copy of every single gold and silver title that they have available. And another one, it just allows you like three or four or five free ones. Uh, having gone to uh, free comic book day, pretty much since its inception, I can tell you there, <laughs> there are definitely a lot of freeloaders there that go in and get their handful of free stuff. Don't buy anything. And typically comic book shops have some pretty great sales going on uh, during free comic book day as well, because obviously they're getting, uh, customers in the door that they normally wouldn't, so they want to try to sell them something at a discount price. Um, uh, sometimes that works. Other times you definitely just see the people load up their bag full of free stuff and head out, and the shop owner will never see that person again until the next uh, first Saturday in May, uh, the following year. Oh, next year. <laughs> but, yeah. So yeah. Uh, the way I kind of understood it is uh, the, the gold and silver is almost like a sponsorship-type level where... Uh, maybe Marvel and DC typically will have a, both have a gold and silver book. I not, don't think that DC has a silver book this, or a gold book this year. Uh, typically in the past, DC uses the free comic book day as kind of their launching or preview of their next big event. Uh, goes back to Blackest Night that had a zero issue that, uh, came out in free comic book day and they've kind of done that since then. Uh, one of the more recent ones was the uh, Trinity War one, which came out uh, 15 months before Trinity War number one actually went on sale. But uh, with DC doing their Rebirth event, they do not have a gold uh, free comic book day giveaway that is at least tying into that event. Um, I think one of their big ones is they're going to have their new kind of all-ages girl line comic book that has a, a toy line that's kind of similar scale as Barbie figures. Right, the uh, they're going to have a... 
Yeah, they're going to have a tie-in comic for that this year. Uh, they usually have an, an all-ages book. In the past, it's been like a Scooby-Doo team-up book or kind of like a all-ages sample or like a, a Young Justice and Tiny Titans or the they had the Green Lantern cartoon series tie-in comic. Uh, was in one of those medley kind of packs. And I think their all-ages one this year is going to be that, that girls one. Uh, the big one for Marvel is going to be a... Uh, preview of the new upcoming uh, Captain America volume, which is like volume 10 or something like that, of uh, with Steve Rogers getting back into the costume, which of course surprises no one since uh, Civil War is coming out here uh, this Thursday or Friday. Right. Uh, so I guess uh, G.I. Joe, uh, bring it back to uh, relevance to our comic book that we're covering. Uh, G.I. Joe has had two free comic book day uh, releases, I believe. Uh, when IDW first got the License uh, to continue the Marvel GI Joe Real American Hero series. Uh, I believe they launched that with a free comic book day giveaway, which was that uh, issue number one fifty five and a half, and then their ongoing series kicked off with one fifty six. And then last year uh, we had a title that I was really looking forward to, the uh, GI Joe versus Transformers, that kicked off with a free comic book day giveaway or preview. And after picking that up for free, I sure am glad I did not pay for it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the art in that book pretty much, uh, and I consider myself uh, someone that enjoys a variety of art styles, but man, the, that art in that book was not to my liking. And so that was pretty much uh, the deciding factor of, uh, yeah, I don't need to pay three to four bucks uh, an issue for this series with this art. But uh, no G.I. Joe uh, or Transformers related uh, free comic book day giveaways uh, this year, I don't think. Uh, a couple of the ones I'm really looking forward to. I don't have the list in front of me. Just uh, definitely the the Captain America one. Uh, I believe Hermes Press is putting out a Phantom one. Uh, they're the company that's going through and making some great uh, Phantom hardcover collections that have kind of collected the past uh, comic runs, whether that's been uh, from Gold Key or King Features or uh, Charlton. Uh, and they put out a Hermes uh, Hermes Press put out a Phantom book last year that was great. Had some uh, Jim Aparo uh, Phantom strip art in it. So really looking forward to that one again. Uh, the comic over street guide is always great. I think this year it's spotlighting the spirit. And uh, I think off the top of my head, it's uh, those two are definitely uh, the ones I'm looking forward to the most in the, in the Captain America one. Real quick, I got the list here in front of me. And there is a, uh, looks like, according to their website, there is a gold version uh, for DC Comics. Okay. It's, uh, Suicide Squad, number one. Uh, oh, that's right. They're, yeah. I think that's just a reprint of the new 52 issue one, isn't it? I'm not sure if it's that or if it's a, I imagine it probably is. Cause they've got, I know they got a new Suicide Squad coming out here in a month or two. So yeah, I'm sure it's probably a reprint of the, of the uh, new 52 one. And then Marvel Comics gold version is the uh, Avengers one. I'm not sure if that's a reprint of the latest Avengers or which Avengers that is. A lot of times Marvel will do, uh, especially for their gold stuff will be new material. Um, last year it was kind of a standalone uh, Avengers story written by Mark Wade to kick off uh, the newest volume of Avengers. With it, you know, being Marvel, of course they release a new volume of every series every year. It seems like. Right. Luckily, the uh, the one shop that I go to where I pick up uh, a copy of every single book, uh, they usually have a big sale going on, and uh, they're business that day has just gotten so hectic that they actually started their sale a week early. And part of that is uh, they've had overstock uh, graphic novels and trade paperback and hardcovers 
uh, you know, they're just select ones that have been sitting on their shelves that they haven't sold for a couple of years. Marked down to $2.50. So uh, some of those included uh, the IDW uh, G.I. Joe Best of Trade Paperbacks. And so I went and picked up the uh, Scarlet one the other day for $2.50, which has the uh, issue we're going to cover today. So lucky for me, because <laughs> I'm missing this issue. So that uh, was a cheap way for me to go pick that up. Oh, there you go. Yeah, I haven't been to the free comic book in a while, just because I don't have one in my town, and I'm usually busy on Saturdays. So. Oh, one of the, other, the two other ones I always look forward to that I forgot to mention, uh, the Bongo Free-for-All, Simpsons Comics. That's a great all-ages one that's... Always pretty funny. And then the tick. I always got to pick up the, the tick free comic book day special. That's always pretty solid. And, uh, Ryan, have you any experience with the free comic book day at your local shops? Yeah. I mean, my, my local shops aren't so local. I usually have to go about an hour away to get to a, a decent store with a good selection. Um, and even then, like some of the places I've been to, they don't order every comic that's available for free comic book day. Like, for instance, I went to, one of the stores specifically looking for Transformers versus G.I. Joe, and the store hadn't ordered that book. They're like, yeah, we we just didn't get it in stock, so it was great. I, I think I ended up getting it digitally on Comixology. Um, but, I, yeah, I've been to Free Comic Day, I think, four out of the last five years. I had to miss it one year. Um, but the thing is, in general, I, I, I've... The last couple of years, I've tended to be a little bit disappointed with the output. And, I mean, I'm complaining about free books. But similar kind of piggybacking on what, what Kyle said, the store that I go to usually has really, really good discounts on trade paperbacks and hardcovers in their collections. And the last couple of years, I've walked out of there with a big, one of the big, like, Marvel Omnibus editions that, you know, retail for 100 or $125 and it might be marked down 75%. Wow. Uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm not, I am paying money for, on free comic book day, <laughs> but I might be paying 35 or $40 for a $125 book. So, um, you know, that's how I get, you know, the main thing omnibus or John Burns Fantastic Four. So. Oh, Ooh, two nice runs. Great yeah. choices. So you're saying you got a, a giant sized, uh, man thing book? <laughs> a very giant sized man thing. <laughs> And on that note, <laughs> see, don't even Adam here today. We're still getting those kind of jokes going on here. Oh. Anyway, so well, they did put out five issues called Giant Size Man Thing, and they had to have known that forty, yeah, forty years later, those came out in 1975, 1976, that uh, people would still be making uh, crude uh, jokes about those. Yeah. They knew what they were. St- Steve Gerber knew what he was doing. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> But anyways, that's uh, like so we we're, we're going to talk about that uh, GI Joe versus Transformers comic. But I looked it up and tried reading through it, and like Kyle was saying, yeah, the art on that was—I don't want to say it's atrocious, but it was atrocious. <laughs> it looked to me, it looked very what someone would be doing out of their garage. And I'm surprising. I it looks like they're still publishing that. I don't know if it's a bi-monthly schedule or what. But it looks like it's still coming out, and the art is still, yeah. So, <laughs> what it what it really reminds me of is some of the earlier uh, Transformers art in the Marvel run, especially in the Marvel UK run. They really tried to make the Transformers, and instead of looking like their cartoon counterparts, really reflect the toy designs. Right. 
but it was that art was still dynamic in ways that this is not. It's very stiff, like making them uh, a common uh, criticism of the original G1 Transformer toys is that they're called bricks because they're not superposable. But uh, this definitely embraces that brickiness, but it also seems to kind of extend that to the G.I. Joes, which obviously have multiple points of articulation and can get into any pose you want. But the G.I. Joe aspect of the art is still very stiff as well. It's, I, yeah, I, it's it's tough to look at. It was tough to make it through the, the free, free giveaway, <laughs> which I, I'm thank you, IDW, for putting that out and uh, saving me. At least uh, the money to probably would have bought. I probably would have let the the first two or three issues sit in a pile before I tackled tackled them and read them. And went, oh God, this is bad. So they probably saved me nine or ten or twelve bucks or something like that. Well, so even, thanks. Even the, even the cover of that is I don't care for it. I don't care for the covers on those either. So I the only reason I would have bought if I would have was if they were part of my box, I might have picked them up. But yeah. Anyways, uh, let's go move on from that to something we actually enjoy. Uh, well, hey, 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 wait, wait, oh, I didn't oh, say sorry, that. Sorry, sorry about that, Ryan. Uh, what are your thoughts on it? <laughs> sorry about that. Oh, I hate it too. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I, <laughs> actually, I, I might be the dissenting opinion. I kind of like this book. Now, I don't love it, and yeah, that's why I was I, <laughs> Yeah, and <laughs> I can't, I can't refute any of the criticisms. But when I read this book, I was surprised that I didn't hate it. And I do, the way Kyle describes the art is very true, but I think Tom Seal, Tom, it's either Scioli or Scioli. I'm not, not sure how he pronounces his name. I'll call him Tom Scioli until I hear otherwise. Um, he has gone on record that he intentionally tries to imitate Jack Kirby's style. Um, and, and he does it. And I think now comparing yourself to Jack Kirby is not, I mean, you're you're never going to live up to that expectation, but I do see that influence uh, in, and I see him trying to get the the kinetic energy from that and just coming up a little bit short. But some of the design, some of the layouts, I kind of see it. But the other thing, like when I read it, I had this really weird feeling, like, and this is going to sound like an insult. But it's not meant that way. But when I read this, I felt like I was reading a story like a nine-year-old kid. Like, imagine yourself when you were a kid first playing with your G.I. Joe or Transformer toys or whatever. When you were a kid, when you were in that prime age, playing with these toys and then going and grabbing like a piece of paper and some crayons and just sketching your own story. Now, that sounds like this is amateurish and this is very childlike. And it, but it, but what I mean is like, this feels very much like a, a kind of artistic kid doing a fan fiction concept. And again, I know what that sounds like. It sounds very amateurish. It sounds like a put down, but I just, I can't deny the energy and the unbridled love that I get from this. When I read this and when I look at the art, I see a guy who really loves these concepts and these ideas and he's happy to be playing with these tools. Um, and that, that enthusiasm kind of carries me through, through the story. So there's a little bit of a quirky charm to this story that I, I really like. Do I want this on a main Transformers and G.I. Joe book? No. Um, 
But I got this one for free, and a few months later, IDW did a 99-cent sale, and I got the first six issues of the series, because they were 99 cents. Now, I have not actually read any of them yet, just because I've had other things on my plate. But, um, yeah, so uh, I like this story a little bit better than than you guys did. Your analogy there reminds me of uh, Scott Gardner's take on Force Awakens. (laughs) (laughs) Have you seen that, his post on that, or heard him vocalize that? I haven't, no. So he said, uh, he he summed it up as uh, J.J. Abrams was like a a nine-year-old kid that came to his house and wanted to get out and play with his Star Wars toys. It was like, oh, cool, Star Wars toys. So he's like, all right, yeah, I'll let you play with these. And So he's watching J.J. Abrams play with the toys from his toy box. He's like, damn it, you're doing it wrong. But then, about 20 minutes later, damn it, if he didn't find himself down on his knees wanting to play along. So, <laughs> something along that. I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but yeah. that's kind of what it reminded me of. Yeah, I might have to go back and uh, give it a a uh, revisit. And I, I think part of it was, uh, that was, I think, the first one I, I sat down uh, and read when I got home with my uh, bag of goodies last year. And I was had been really looking forward to it and uh, highly anticipating it. Because it had been, at that point, probably 10 years since we'd gotten a G.I. Joe Transformers crossover. I mean, you have to go way back to when uh, Devil's Due Publishing had the G.I. Joe license and Dreamwave Entertainment had the Transformers license. And I think they both put out a uh, G.I. Joe Transformers series, at least one, maybe not, maybe two. Uh, Devil's Due might have put out two volumes of that. And uh, the art on those was pretty fantastic. And I couldn't tell you anything about the story. I don't really remember. It wasn't super memorable. But it was it was really pretty to look at, as was definitely always the case with uh, at least the Dreamwave Transformer comics that you're getting. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it just did not live up to what I had built up in my mind. But I might have to go back and uh, give it a look and see if I can uh, find those issues on the cheap then. And mm-hmm. I mean, I think just if you temper your expectations and don't go in there expecting something of the same quality as the best of Larry Hama's run on the main G.I. Joe title, or the best of uh, Furman's run on Transformers. But just kind of think about think about the cartoon a little bit more when you read it. Um, yeah. Have you ever read uh, any of Furman's Marvel UK Transformers series? No, I've actually read surprisingly little of the Transformers comic. So. Oh, yeah, that's right. IDW's uh, reprinted some of those in single-issue form and then trade paperback, but uh, mm-hmm. back in the early 2000s, Titan Books put out, and they're like Treasury comic size reprints, because I think that's uh, about the size that they were originally published in when they were in that weekly magazine over there. And uh, Target 2006, The Legacy of Unicron, and Space Pirates. Those would be three. If you can ever come across those collections cheap, you got to check those out. The art in those is not fantastic by any means. It's almost all Jeff Sr. who did a lot of the... When Furman came over, he brought Jeff Sr. with him. And then I think it was Andrew Wildman filled up, finished his run then at Marvel on that Transformers series. But Jeff Sr.'s art, a little stiff. It definitely has more of the likeness to the uh, you know, actual toys. But damn, I love those stories. So uh, check those out if you haven't seen those before, those three collections. Yeah, check those out. I've read, I think I've read some of the uh, Furman's Marvel uh, UK Transformer stuff, but and I know I read some of the G.I. Joe, the Action Force that they had, but I haven't read all of it, so 
something to look into. Yeah, there was actually, uh, going back to the uh, sale at my local shop, uh, I picked up, there was a Marvel UK Hulk trade paperback they put out that just had content that was exclusive to the Hulk magazine over there in Marvel UK, and they'd collected a trade paperback, and I found that in the $2.50 bin. I didn't even know that thing existed, so pretty happy to snatch that up. Right on. Do you guys have any other thoughts about Free Comic Book Day, uh, Kyle? No, I just stress that if you go check it out, there's a lot of all-ages stuff, which you can't say that about a lot of monthly books. <laughs> so uh, you can go get some free comics for your kids and maybe get them hooked. And if you do, please uh, take into consideration that it's definitely not free for your shop to host that day. So while you're there, hopefully you'll throw them a bone and pick up a little bit of something and support them. And Ryan, give either. Yeah, take advantage of it, um, especially like a lot of the offerings are all ages or kid friendly. You know, it's a great way to expose little kids and new readers to the medium. Um, but definitely don't leave your comic store without getting a giant size man thing. <laughs> and just the- all ages and giant size man thing in the same sentence. Wow. <laughs> something for the grown ups. <laughs> something, something for dad or mom. Something for <laughs> the kids. Mommy, mommy, I want the giant size man thing. Yeah, well, I want that too. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was thinking. <laughs> Well, I'm gonna basically, uh, I agree with both Ryan and Kyle. Uh, definitely check out your local comic book shop. Uh, hit them up for their free comics. And while you're there, buy something. Because again, as both guys have said, while they're free, you guys, these free comic book dates aren't free to the shops. They're not free to the publishers. So show your support to your local comic book shop and check out a book. Maybe look for some GI Joe while you're there. GI Joe will return after these messages. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, 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 feels good. Feels good. The time has come to enjoy myself. Hello, greetings, and hi there. This is the Hit Speaks Podcast. Hey there, true believers. Welcome to the task. Force X headcast. G.I. Joe, Joe, the real American headcast, is the code name for Aaron's daring, highly trained headcast. Hello there, my name is Aaron Moss, and this is the Starman Manhunter Adventure Hour. Alexis Mox. This is my show called Alexis Beat. And all of these shows can be found on the Headcast Network. Look for it on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. Also on Facebook by looking for the Headcast Networks. All of the great Headcasts that you love on one convenient feed. Look for it. The Headcast Network. See you there. Trekker Talk, a fan podcast devoted to the adventures of 23rd century bounty hunter Mercy St. Clair from the pages of Trekker Comics by creator, writer, and artist Ron Randall. I'm Darren. And I'm Ruth. We'll be discussing the stories, characters, and art in this excellent retro sci-fi adventure series, as well as having side conversations about other areas of fandom.
We hope you'll join us as we travel from the dangerous back streets of New Gallif to the depths of outer space and everywhere in between. Trekker Talk is available at podbean.com and on iTunes and Stitcher. Let's go ahead and move on to uh, issue number nine. And I believe, uh, Mr. Benning, you have the synopsis for the story? I do. Why don't you take it away, then? All right. We have G.I. Joe, A Real American Hero, number nine. The story's titled The Diplomat. It was written by Stephen Grant. It's penciled by Mike Vosberg with inks by Chick Stone. The colors were by Amy Yankus. The letter was Janice Chang, and the editor was Denny O'Neill. Uh, the cover was done by the same art team of Mike Bosberg and Chick Stone that also did the interiors. According to Mike's Amazing World of Comics, this issue went on sale on December 7th, 1982. should be uh, of note that this issue here marks the first time that the series co-creators, Larry Hama or Herb, and Herb Trampy, neither one of them are involved in this comic whatsoever. So totally a uh, different creative team all across the board than uh, the team behind the, the launch of the series. This story here, G.I. Joe, Real American Hero number nine, is reprinted in G.I. Joe Comics Magazine number four from 1987, so that was the first time it was reprinted. It's also reprinted in the Tales of G.I. Joe number nine from 1988, and then has been reprinted in countless G.I. Joe Real American Hero trade paperback and hardcover collections released by either Marvel or IDW, including the G.I. Joe Best of Scarlet trade paperback from 2010, which is where I read the story from in preparation for this episode. So, jumping into the story itself, and cue the ACDC music, because the issue starts in Nebraska, where a team of Joes, led by Stalker, bust down an innocent-looking farmhouse and catch a unit of Cobra officers with their pants down. joking stalker actually exclaims we finally caught these cobra goons with their pants down caught with their pants down is a song by acdc off their 1995 album ball breaker so. anyway the cobra troopers quickly try to scrub the data files on their computers and initiate a self-destruct on the facility breaker tries to reverse the self-destructive initiative and retrieve as many files as possible from the cobra databases these overridden from a remote location by cobra commander himself Breaker manages to push Stalker to safety out the front porch of the house as it explodes, with only a briefcase-sized computer portapack to show for their raid on the Cobra facility. The next day, in the Joe briefing room, Hawk goes over the limited data files they were able to pull from the portapack and glean from it that Cobra plans to assassinate a State Department diplomat named Brian Hassel, who is trying to land uh, the Persian Gulf country of Al-Alawi, I hope I pronounced that right, 
uh, it's actually spelled two different ways in the issue, into becoming a U.S. ally. Hawker assigns Stalker and Snake Eyes to tracking down someone from Cobra to confirm that this planned assassination is a real mission. And then he also assigns Clutch and Scarlet to escort uh, Hassel to the negotiations. Now, Scarlet, at this time, makes it be known in front of everybody, all of her Joe teammates, that she isn't too happy to be working with Clutch on the assignment. Inside Cobra headquarters, Cobra Commander is quite pleased to learn that the G.I. Joe team is aware of Cobra's plans to assassinate Brian Hassel. Cut to the beach on the French Riviera, we see Scarlet and Clutch, and Clutch have caught up with Castle and are supervising the final days of his vacation. They're enjoying uh, some great beach weather with Scarlet in a uh, pink bikini. And uh, Shag would say, she's hot. And uh, Clutch is uh, buried up to his neck in sand when all of a sudden a troop of Cobra assassins and scuba gear storm the beach and try to shoot Scarlet and Hassel. Scarlet pushes Hassel to safety while Clutch busts out of the sand with a machine gun in tow and sends the would-be assassins back into the ocean. And then the three of them head back to the hotel to grab Hassel's possessions and briefcase and then head to a safer location. At the hotel, Scarlet detects a bomb tied to the door and grabs Hassel and makes a theatrical, theatrical escape from the window using her crossbow as the bomb destroys the hotel room in their wake. Cut to London, England, where Stalker and Snake Eyes, following up on their mission, make a corrupt arms dealer named Derek Sutherland, assuming no relation to uh, Ruth and uh, Darren Sutherland, uh, <laughs> Trick or Dog in a World of World's comic uh, podcast. But uh, anyway, this Sutherland guy has a uh, Cobra ties, and he reveals to them the location for a Cobra stronghold in Amsterdam. With the Joes gone, Sutherland contacts Cobra Commander to report that he passed on the location as Cobra had ordered. Cobra Commander is pleased, but kills Sutherland anyway. I mean, after all, he's the leader of a ruthless terrorist organization determined to rule the world, so you can't really expect anything less out of him. Anyway, back in France, Scarlet and Clutch reach the airfield and their private jet while fending off a car full of Cobra troopers. Once the plane is airborne, Scarlet discovers that the pilot is in fact a member of Cobra. And after she knocks him out, Clutch has to come into the cockpit and make an emergency landing on the edge of a cliff. Luckily, their car was part of their cargo, and so they hop in the car and drive away from the crash site as the remnants of the plane topple off the cliff. Meanwhile, in Amsterdam, Stalker and Snake Eyes follow up on their lead from Sutherland and head to a rundown hotel. On the top floor, Stalker confronts a Cobra Commander hologram, who reveals the whole thing was a setup and a trap, and that the real, real assassin is the Ambassador Hassel himself who will assassinate the leader of the nation, that nation is Al-Alawi, and uh, destroy American credibility around the globe. As Cobra Commander reveals all this, the room starts filling up with the deadly gas. Luckily, Snake Eyes bust down the door, just in time to save Stalker. Back to Scarlet and Clutch, who once again find themselves being pursued by Cobra in the Italian Alps, and they manage to once again dispatch the Cobra assassins with relative ease. I'm starting to get suspicious of this that the, uh, the Cobra Troopers always seem to be competent enough to track them down, but are completely incompetent about uh, how easily they're defeated. Now, with uh, Joe, with the, the two Joes, Scout and Clutch, vocalizing their concerns, Hassel reveals himself to be the true assassin. He orders Scout and Clutch to continue on to the Peace Talk rendezvous point at uh, gunpoint. The two Joes are tied up and stored away, and everything looks to be going uh, according to plan for Cobra, their assassinist place, America will be disgraced and discredited, and the G.I. Doe team will be implicated in the death of this minister of Al-Alawi. Of course, uh, if a Joe is uh, breathing, they're 
might be down, but they're never out. So Scarlet escapes and crashes the assassination attempt, but it looks like she's too late. Hassel has already shot his mark. Luckily, in the 1980s fictional country Middle East uh, environment, assassinations are a fact of life, as are bulletproof S. And the leader of the nation of Al Alawi is unharmed thanks to the bulletproof S below his robes. Back at Cobra headquarters, Cobra Commander receives the news of the failed assassination attempt and laughs it off as just part of the game. The end. Very good. Thank you very much. That was a nice recap. And uh, let's just take a break a minute and try in. What do you think about this issue? What are your thoughts on this? Um, I kind of, at first I used to sort of dismiss this one because, as Kyle points out, it's one of the non-Larry Hama issues, and I tend to file those at the back of my mind. And without Herb Trimpey, this was, you know, the first one that didn't have either of the creators on it. But rereading it again, I, I actually, I was surprised. I really liked it. It doesn't always feel like a G.I. Joe book because it really doesn't have the same kind of plot. In fact, looking back at it, I'm pretty sure this was like an unused pitch for a James Bond movie that Stephen Grant had been working on for a while. And I actually, I had to make a list of all of the tropes. Like, he packs a lot in this, and I'm sure Kyle realized that as he was doing his synopsis. There's a whole lot packed into this, you know, 22-page story. There are no less than five death traps, two bombs. We see Scarlet's bare legs twice, once when she's in a bikini. There's an attack on a beach with frogmen. There's the hero ziplining out of a hotel room before it explodes. There are two different car chases. There's a scene of it crashing a plane in the mountains. There's a poison gas chamber. There's a car being chased while being shot at by helicopters. There's a scene of the heroes throwing people out of helicopters. There's a betrayal. There's an assassination attempt. There's a scene of skiing. And there's a scene of the hero stopping a murder by skiing. <laughs> like, like this is a James Bond story. This is a 007 movie. And he just recast with a few principal characters from from G.I. Joe. Um, so that that was my my big picture overall impression. I've got a few other detailed notes, but I'll let you guys kind of go through some of your some of your impressions first. Don't forget the uh, reluctant teammates who, uh, through their hard <laughs> trials, get closer <laughs> as the story goes on. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And well, I I didn't I, I did catch a lot of that, but I didn't quite think about it quite as in-depth as uh, Ryan thought about it. But yeah, I do agree. It is very... It's different than what we normally get. Uh, one of my main thoughts on here is that Cobra Commander in here it seems almost like a different person. And it may be because this is a part of a bigger scheme or something, but normally, in fact, even the, the Cobra guy who's working for him, like I said, when they go to give him bad news, you know, they're, they're cringing... And he, you know, he blows it off at the very end, like uh, Kyle was saying, you know, he just kind of laughs it off. Says, it's just a game. I don't know, it just seems very uncobra-like, or Cobra Commander-like to me, the way you know he's able to handle the defeat so easily. Well, I think that's because he's not the leader of Cobra, he's the leader of Spectre. But, yeah, I get your point. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, uh, Kyle made mention as he's going through there about uh, on page five with Scarlet in her bikini. Uh, and he made a comment about Shaq saying she was hot. I've got the exact same note here. <laughs> and then also on page uh, page two later, where she's in the robe. But then at the bottom of page, I think page seven. <laughs> exactly. 
Uh, it's the bottom, that page seven where they're jumping in the car and Clutch is taking off with them and she's telling Clutch to keep his eyes on the road. I, I, I like that, that little scene between them there. Mm-hmm. And it's very much plays up the way the Clutch is, you know. He's very much the, I want to say the ladies man, but he thinks he's the ladies man. <laughs> he's a bit like Johnny Bravo. Yes. <laughs> now that you, I didn't think about that, but now that you mention it. <laughs> And then over on page 13, when the, the plane's on the, uh, the cliff, and as they're, they're walking away, they said that, uh, by the time the pilot wakes up, they'll be down the mountain at their destination. Um, no, I'm pretty sure the pilot's gonna beat them to the bottom. <laughs> the plane falls off. <laughs> Something I can think of that they're walking away, the plane just falls off, right? You know, he's gonna beat you guys down. <laughs> I think, uh, Clutch just has a bit of a, a sick sense of humor, which I definitely, uh, appreciate. Oh, yeah, very much so. And I, I don't remember if it's because I read this before or what, but I, when the uh, the smoke bomb dropped by the guy's feet, I, I got wondering if that was him dropping it or how, you know, it got so smoothly through the window. And which we were proved that, you know, he did drop it himself. So I don't know if that was a throwback from originally, originally reading this or if that was kind of given away there. Uh, do you guys well, know well, how you read that? Well, at that point... Uh, it's already been revealed by Cobra Commander to Stalker that that guy's the mole. Okay. So the oh, the yeah. point where the the uh, smoke canister gets in the car is about a page and a half after uh, the big reveal by Cobra Commander to Stalker. Yeah, that's why then. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, otherwise, I see it's, it's again. This is one like uh, Ryan was saying. I kind of dismiss it because it's not a Larry Hammond issue. But overall, it's, it's a good issue. It's got good artwork, and the story itself, while very much a, a James Bond story, as Ryan pointed out, it's still a very good story, and it's very it's entertaining. Uh, to me, the, the biggest thing, the most important thing to me is the, the next issue, or next issue uh, box down there, where it says Springfield. Mm-hmm. To me, that that's where everything really gets going. Mm-hmm. And it's just... Uh, and that's another reason why this one, to me, is not quite as good because, I say it's good, but it's not as good as what's going to come because after we've talked about previously, issue 10, 11, 12 is when he starts really with the, the G.I. Joe mythos and the Springfield and everything. So, right. And, uh, Kyle, did you, what are the thoughts that you have on this? I really like this one. I didn't have, uh, this original issue. And so I'm going to guess that this is probably the first time I ever read it. I don't recall it, uh, of reading it when I was younger, or borrowing the book from somebody else or seeing it in any other fashion. So uh, I was pleasantly surprised with this, uh, especially the the last few have kind of been uh, two-parters by Larry Hammonds or Herb Trimpey. And so in this one where you have uh, an issue here where neither one of them is in, involved and it's a standalone issue and it's kind of bringing that two-issue story arc trend, it kind of has all the setup of just being a filler issue. But I once you get into it, it actually didn't feel like it. It uh, reminded me a lot of kind of a, a similar premise or setup that you'd see a lot in the G.I. Joe Special Mission uh, series that ran 28 issues or so, which we'll eventually get into those issues. So mm-hmm. uh, in that aspect, it was definitely a departure from what we'd seen so far, but uh, it's still... The, the characters were on model enough that it's still has all that G.I. Joe greatness and uh, kind of harkens to uh, G.I. Joe is a great premise in that you can have those longer story arcs, but you can also have pop one of these standalone 
in a special mission, stopping something that, you know, like a assassination, and it still feels in place and can still coexist in that same narrative or universe. And so, uh, I was I was really pleasantly surprised with the, this one. I really enjoyed it. The uh, the art I, I thought was pretty solid overall. Uh, there are a few inconsistencies, just in uh, mainly how Clutch's face looked from panel to panel occasionally, but for the most part, it's pretty solid. Uh, really kind of reminds me of a lot of a kind of a cleaner Marvel house style, kind of just done in the G.I. Joe world. Uh, really uh, great artwork. Really enjoyed it. Uh, one of my favorite panels, aside from uh, you know, the Scarlet Ones, where she's scantily clad, would have to be probably in the cockpit when uh, Clutch has taken the, the controls Scarlet's on the radio, says radio's dead, bullet got it. Just uh, Clutch's uh, face there in the background, it reminds me a lot of kind of just a like a Golden Age War comic. Uh, kind of the five o'clock shadow on his face and just uh, his kind of strong jaw there. Just a, a really neat panel. I really dig that one. Uh, I mean, it's a pretty simple, nothing real special about it. Just the, the, the figure rendering that's pretty solid and that one sticks out as uh, just kind of having that classic uh, war comic feel. Yeah, this was, uh, going with the art, this was Mike Vosberg's first interior pencil on the book, and he would stay with the book. He he actually does like 12 out of the next 14 issues, and he was never the best artist on the series. He, I, I don't think he's as good as Herb Trimpey. I don't think he had the same kind of energy or dynamism that later guys would have, like Frank Springer or Rod Wiggum, but... He did, I have a sentimental place in my heart for Mike Bosberg because he drew some of my all-time favorite issues. And like the next ten issues after this that we're going to be talking about is one amazing saga of G.I. Joe, and he penciled the whole thing. So he's always, I, I consider him one of my favorite G.I. Joe artists, even though I recognize it is a little consistent. It, they, sometimes the characters are off-model. And we'll see that later on as, as his issues progress. I think maybe the deadlines were kind of hurting him and the colorist didn't favor him in a lot of those times. Um, but yeah, I still like it. Um, the one other thing, the one real issue that I had with the, the story that I kind of, like kind of had me scratching my head is when they're on the beach. And if Clutch is part of their protection detail, I don't think burying himself up to his head in sand is a good way. Like I, I'm calling BS on his Johnny on the spot thing. When the guys come out of the beach, that he's able to get himself out from under the sand so quickly, and have a working machine gun that has not been, you know, completely ruined by the sand. Yeah, I've got that note also about. Yeah, I, I'm not quite sure how well. I like the scene of him popping out of the sand. But much like you were saying, Ryan, I don't know how well that gun's going to work, mm-hmm. uh, being buried in all that sand giving it to work. It looks cool. It's a cool-looking panel, and maybe their thought was, you know, don't let logic ruin a cool action scene. But for me, I'm like, uh, no, that's too great of a leap of logic, I think. The, the art for me was enough in that one. I mean, we got to that panel, and I'm thinking, whoa, Scarlet. And then I look <laughs> down, and I see Clutch's head sticking out the same, and it's just, what an idiot. No wonder she's laughing on her team. She's going to protect this guy, and he's burying himself up to his neck in sand. And then you're like, uh-oh, 
Here you got the the frogman coming out. Way to go, Clutch! And then all of a sudden he's popping out there the top panel of the next page there, and just letting them have it. And it's just like, oh yeah, Clutch, you do. <laughs> but uh, that that I, sold me enough way, for it. You, you just gotta break like the you just gotta break like the first rule that they teach you in uh, hunter safety course is if your gun barrel is ever clogged with something. Never shoot. That's the worst thing you can do. Nah, nah. That sand, it'll just come right on out. You just gotta hold the tree, trigger down. <laughs> uh. Also, Clutch's job in this mission is essentially he's their getaway driver and burying himself in sand. It's like, okay, they're gonna be in the car waiting for five minutes for him to get out of there. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, that was my only real like, head-scratcher moment. The rest of the stuff I, I could roll with because, like I said, it felt like tropes out of a sort of spy genre type of things, like James Bond or, like, Mission Impossible a little bit, and it was... And those aren't bad things. If you're going to tell a, a standalone, unconventional G.I. Joe story, it's not a bad idea to err on the side of a James Bond or Mission Impossible type of story. So... Especially, uh, that actually kind of harkens back to the series' roots. I mean, it, mm-hmm. Larry Hammond had originally pitched it as kind of a updated Shield. Nick Fury Shield series, so yeah. it definitely, the series definitely spawned from those spy roots, so kind of interesting to see that the issue that has revisited that the most has been the, an issue not in, involving him whatsoever, so. <laughs> yeah, this could have been a story with, uh, Valentina de Allegra Fontaine and, uh, Dum Dum Dugan. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Yeah. That's all I got for this one. <laughs> Only other comment I have is I really like that page where the Amsterdam scene where uh, they visit that cheap hotel and Snake Eyes is standing behind the receptionist gal. You know, his stalker goes upstairs, you know, he just, Snake Eyes just stand, standing there threatening her just by looking at her. I really like that that's laid out and it very much shows who Snake Eyes is. Well, there's some great uh, foreshadowing there in that panel that, uh, you know, that's why Snake Eyes goes up to the top floor and manages to save Stalker is he's standing there and she doesn't realize it and she goes to, uh, call the top floor and warn him that Stalker's coming and, uh, Snake Eyes has, uh, cut the cord. That's why the phone doesn't work. Right. Or, no, he didn't cut the cord. He reaches down and actually hangs up the phone. Mm-hmm. He hits click and she, oh, so, uh, nice little piece of art there. Yeah. To, yeah, let me, uh, the only other thing I, I guess I'd have on it is, uh, I, I really liked, I mean, it's a short story, uh, but I really liked, uh, some of the, the character beats in here. I kind of alluded to it earlier in my, uh, synopsis and just some of the, the general discussion. I really like the, the banter and one-liners back and forth. You know, you definitely see that Scarlet's pretty standoffish, uh, towards, uh, Clutch in the beginning. And then you see that kind of dissolve over the course of the, the issue. She, on the beach, she snaps at him to shut up, Clutch, and then uh, by the end, she's saying that you know, hey, we don't we don't have to worry about this. Clutch is the the best driver there is, so uh, she's pretty confident in his ability by by the end, and seems to uh, be getting along with him pretty well. And then uh, I actually liked uh, th- this twist on Cobra Commander. I mean, from uh, the beginning of the story, he's kind of just in the, a different mood, and you can see he as the, the plot con- t- continues to uh, develop and unfold. He's interested in seeing uh, how the, I guess the pawns on the the board will play out the the chess match. 
and uh, it's kind of nice to see him uh, definitely implied that he has a, a longer game here and he's not uh, the knee-jerk, fly-off-the-handle psychopath, <laughs> incompetent psychopath that he is in the uh, the cartoon. There's maybe a little uh, deeper, more menacing side to him, which definitely gives Cobra Commander and just the, the Cobra organization a little bit more uh, credence as a you know true threat to the G.I. Joe organization. Yeah, I agree with you there. That's... Well, do you guys have any other thoughts on this issue at all? Do you guys think we covered it pretty well? I'm just happy that I finally got a synopsis one that didn't suck. I mean, none of them really sucked, but I think uh, I think up to this point, I think I've synopsized some of some of the worst. At least the last yeah. two I've done have been some of the uh, lower tier ones or the the ones we've been less high on. None of them have sucked, but definitely uh, some of the uh, more or less less spectacular the the issues we've covered so far. And I think this one definitely is. I think I synopsized. Uh, the first issue, so I, I would say this is up there closer to on par with that compared to the uh, other two I synopsized so far. Oh, very much so. Well, luckily you shouldn't have that problem for another, like, 35, 36 issues. That's true. We're uh, definitely at the, the cusp of greatness here. Very much so. All right, well, if you guys don't have any other thoughts on this, uh, we're going to go take a quick break and listen to some uh, commercials from some of the podcasts we have out there, and we'll be right back. G.I. Joe will return after these messages. excited for 2016. In fact, I think we should record a promo about all the changes to the Fire and Water Podcast Network happening this year. What do you think, Rob? That's a great idea. We can mention the new folks joining the network and all the shows. I can talk about how we'll continue with our Aquaman and Firestorm show, and I want to be sure to plug my movie show, The Film and Water Podcast. What about you, Ryan? Oh, I think we should definitely record a promo. I'll mention how the Secret Origins Podcast is joining the Fire and Water Network, and then I'll introduce my newly relaunched shows, Give Me Those Star Wars and Power of Fishnets, The Black Canary and Zatanna Podcast. Sound good to you, Chris? Absolutely. I'll mention the show I record with my lovely wife, Cindy, Supermates, the husband and wife geek cast. We should probably also mention the Power Records podcast Rob and I do, too. What about you, Siskoid? Well, sure. I can talk about my ensemble show, The Lonely Hearts Romance Comics Podcast, and my new upcoming shows about the DC Comics crossover event, Invasion, and yes, Oh Hot Moo. Shag, you think we should mention Hero Points, the most occasional DC Heroes role-playing podcast? Sure, why not? And I can talk about Who's Who, the definitive podcast of the DC Universe, and mention my new upcoming show, Justice League International, Wahaha Podcast. Now, here's what I'm thinking. When we record, I'm fine being the first person talking. I can explain all the changes to the Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait. Why do you get to start the promo? I'm just as much of a part of this as you are. It was my idea to create the Fire and Water podcast back in 2011. I should start off this promo. I kind of think it should be one of the new voices who kick off the promo. It'll shock the listener into attention if it's not Rob or Shag. Cindy and I make up two people in the network. Plus, you know, ladies first, so we should be the first people talking on the promo. Ben voyons donc. You have what? got uh, what? Enough! Stop it. You're like boys with toys. Let's just make this simple. We can tell the folks at home the Fire and Water Podcast Network is growing in 2016. Several new shows are joining the network. We'll have a new dedicated website, a Twitter account, and Facebook page. And folks will be able to subscribe to each individual show or all of them. See, now was that so hard? 
Fire and Water Podcast Network. Available soon through iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and fireandwaterpodcast.com. Seriously, Shag, you had to get the last word, didn't you? Dinah Lance is a fighter, and her one-woman war is against the czars of crime, the frightened men who dread the blonde bombshell, otherwise known as Black Canary. Writer Robert Kaniger and artist Carmine Infantino created Black Canary in 1947. She debuted as a masked femme fatale that kind of skirted the law, but pretty quickly she evolved into a civic-minded crime fighter. She has mastered multiple martial arts disciplines in unarmed combat forms. Her canary cry, when properly focused, is powerful powerful enough to punch a hole through a wall. Black Canary has, in one form or another, been part of multiple incarnations of the Justice League, the Justice Society, and Birds of Prey. I freaking fell in love with Black Canary, and I'm proud to podcast about her adventures in comics and television. Flowers and Fishnets, a Black Canary podcast. Now, back to G.I. Joe. And welcome back. Here we go with our uh, next part of our episode, where we cover G.I. Joe, the cartoon. America's daring, highly trained special mission force. Its purpose, to defend human freedom against COBRA, a ruthless terrorist organization determined to rule the world. He never gives up. He'll stay till the right one. G.I. Joe will dare. G.I. Joe will dare. G.I. Joe. And to take that, we have our good buddy, Ryan Daly. Ryan? Why don't you tell us what we're going on today? All right. The Revenge of Cobra Part 2, The Vines of Evil. It originally aired Tuesday, September 11th, 1984, at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. As we saw last episode, Flint Roadblock Mutt and his dog Junkyard crashed into the Pit of Chaos. Destro seeded the pit with his mutated creeper vines that grow freakishly large and hostile when exposed to water. Then he used his Weather Dominator device to shower the pit with rain. When Part 2 begins, Flint and Roadblock are barely managing to defend themselves from the vines when Mutt gets the bright idea of turning on the engines from one of the wrecked Sky Strikers. The heat from the engine dries out and kills the nearest vines, and the Joes use this brief reprieve to salvage parts from the jet into something that'll get them out of the pit. In the Secret Cobra Temple... Cobra Commander and Destro drop the captured Duke and Snake Eyes into the arena of sport. Like a deadly version of Rock'em Sock'em Robot, Destro and Cobra Commander control Duke and Snake Eyes, forcing them to fight each other. But during the fight, the Joes are able to break control long enough to send a distress signal to the G.I. Joe team, warning them that Cobra plans to attack Washington, D.C. After putting up a good fight, Duke and Snake Eyes are recaptured. Cobra Commander refuses to alter his planned attack, laughing at the idea that G.I. Joe will be able to defend against the Weather Dominator. 
As the American capital is being evacuated, Doc demonstrates his new invention, the energy mirror, that will, in fact, defend against the weather dominator. After a successful test, the Joes load up a crapload of these mirrors and head to Washington. Back in the pit of chaos, the Joes have kit-bashed a miniature helicopter. They finally get it working just as the Skystriker runs out of fuel. The vines close in around the Joes and wrap around Roadblock as the helicopter takes to the air. Flint and Mutt try to pull Roadblock up, but he knows the vines will pull them all down if he doesn't let go. Roadblock drops back into the pit, shouting, Yo, Joe, as the helicopter carries Flint, Mutt, and Junkyard to safety. The fuel in the helicopter carries them away from the pit and the storm, but not much further. A pair of Cobra troopers observe the helicopter crash. When they go to investigate, Junkyard distracts the Cobras, and Flint and Mutt get the drop on them. The Joes take their Cobra uniforms and their Stinger Jeep and head out across the desert. Back at the Cobra Temple, Cobra Commander and Destro argue over the best way to use the Weather Dominator against Washington, D.C. Zartan comes down on Cobra Commander's side, and to get back at him, Destro exposes Zartan to direct sunlight, which causes him terrible pain and skin discoloration. When the storm clouds over the Pit of Chaos break, the sun dries up and the last remaining vines die. Roadblock survived his long night in the pit and begins climbing up the rocky wall. The Joes arrive in Washington as Cobra uses the Weather Dominator to create a tornado-like windstorm. The wind, along with giant hailstones, plays havoc on the Joes' energy mirrors. Elsewhere, Flint and Mutt pull into a desert town. They stop into a bar called the Cobra Cafe, still wearing their stolen Cobra uniforms, by the way. But the local clientele doesn't seem to care who they are. The bartender and six other patrons harass the Joes and try to take their guns. Flint and Mutt respond by kicking the crap out of these guys. Mutt even scares their dog when it challenges Junkyard. When the bar fight ends, a sardonic sailor with a voice like Jack Nicholson introduces himself as Shipwreck and offers the Joes a way of getting out of town without being noticed by other Cobras. The Joes have taken a pounding in D.C. and many of their energy mirrors have been trashed, but naturally that's not good enough for Cobra Commander. He orders Destro to use lightning against the Joes. Destro knows this is a bad idea, but he listens to the commander and attacks Washington, D.C. with a powerful lightning storm. The lightning bolts are absorbed by the energy mirrors, then reflected back into Doc's secondary mirror, and finally redirected back at the Weather Dominator itself. Destro leaps to safety just in time as a massive energy blast strikes the Cobra Temple, shooting the Weather Dominator into orbit where it breaks into three component parts that land in three remote places across the globe. Back in the desert, Shipwreck, Flint, Mutt, and Junkyard get on a sand skiff that will carry them across the sand without tripping any Cobra's uh, radar. But, with the Weather Dominator damaged, freak weather patterns and storms are starting up all over the world. A massive sandstorm rages across the desert, slamming into the Joe's skiff. Mutt is thrown overboard and appears to be drowning in the sand as this part of the Revenge of Cobra comes to an end. Be continued. They're <laughs> very nice, Ryan. I like that. Good coverage. Um, make one big few comments real quick. As we talked about last episode, more gladiatorial combats. Uh, again, the explosion and three parts and three remote areas they have to track down. I think I think it was Ryan saying last episode that these two series have very are very similar in the layouts. Mm-hmm. And I was beginning back when uh. 
with the restraints that Cobra was using, it was very much out of Tron to me. It kind of digitized it, goes around, around Duke and them. It's, mm-hmm. it's very, I'm <laughs> thinking Tron when I see that. I can and see then, it. Yeah. And then when you were saying that, you know, Destro pulled the light onto Zartan, more proof that he's a vampire. <laughs> I think, <laughs> uh, I think Adam was saying last episode that Zartan's a vampire. This is more proof of that. Uh, speaking of Adam, uh, we get introduced to his favorite character, Shipwreck. And I tend to forget that when Shipwreck starts out, he starts out as a mercenary. I used to do up the show and you know, he's a part of the Joes, he's a, you know, a solid member, well, solid as Shipwreck can be, but yeah, I forget he starts out here as a mercenary. So, other than I've got on here is that, uh, again, as you commented, Cobra Commander, you know, was using the hail and it was destroying the mirrors and he switched to lightning. Yeah, Cobra Commander listened to Destro and, and stuck with the hail or maybe he used a hurricane or something. This show could, show could have been a whole lot differently. And my last comment on this really is, uh, I find it kind of odd that Flint's not familiar with the, the term batting down the hatches. I mean, I saw this as a teenager and I was familiar with that, so I just thought that was kind of weird that when they were in that store at the very end, Flint didn't seem familiar with that, that phrase. Or maybe just what I was, I don't know, maybe just the way I understood him saying it, but he seemed very confused by that term. Mm. Uh, Kyle? Uh, what do you think about this episode? Well, I wasn't on the uh, last episode that uh, covered the first episode of, of the second series here, so I guess first off, I've got to say I love the new intro. I'm a big fan of the the Dreadnoughts, so it's uh, great to see how prominent they are in the the opening animation sequence, and uh, it's a great little kind of mini adventure that you get uh, recapped here in the the opening sequence. So I really really dig the, the animation for the new intro. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, it's uh, good to see the, the episode start off with uh, Flint and Roadblock, or two of my favorite uh, Joes. And uh, obviously Flint is uh, featured uh, fairly prominently throughout the episode. Roadblock, not so much, thanks to his uh, sacrifice. I know, uh, listening to the last episode, that Adam voiced his dislike of uh, Flint, that he wasn't uh, real high on the character. But uh, I've always liked the, the character of Flint. He, uh, I think Adam pretty much said something along the lines of, if you had Duke, why would you need Flint? Duke's like your friend's cool older brother. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, Duke is one of my favorites as well, but, uh, I mean, I think of Flint as being a, a bit more of a, a hard ass than, uh, Duke. And that's something that, uh, definitely resonates with me. And he also gets captured a hell of a lot less than Duke. Duke got captured twice in this episode, so what's he up to like, seven times and seven episodes or something like that that he's been captured. So, um, yeah, Flint, uh, a little bit more of a competent and a little bit more of a, a hard ass. So I, I've always liked him more as a character. Uh, like I said earlier, the, the Dreadnoughts and then, uh, Zartan are, uh, some of my favorite Joe villains. So I definitely enjoyed, uh, Zartan's, uh, prominent role here so far in the series. Um, yeah, kind of, kind of weird that, uh, Someone who's doesn't really like sunlight, uh, kind of lives or holds up in kind of a tropical environment. A lot of times uh, later we'll see them kind of their headquarters are in a swamp. So basically a temperate climate with a, a lot of sunlight and humidity. So, but uh, I, I'm not a real big fan of the uh, hooded Cobra Commander look. I definitely prefer the uh, faceplate and then the uh, later kind of helmet that he gets that shows his eyes and then has the headset. 
I think the hooded Cobra Commander look that we see here is definitely probably my least favorite Cobra Commander design. Um, I love the bar fights. Holy crap, uh, when uh, Mutt starts the uh, the engine that makes the, the vines like shrivel up and stuff, that must be the most inefficient engine there is on the planet if it throws that much uh, like <laughs> heat. <laughs> Which, uh, the fuel source goes to just creating waste heat instead of you know, starting the vehicle. It's kind of nuts. But, uh, it was the 80s. Nobody cared. It'd be, be a great uh, vehicle, I guess, for uh, Arctic adventures. <laughs> Throw a bunch of heat into the cabin. But uh, uh, the uh, I love when uh, Flint uh, puts on the uh, Cobra kind of disguise but keeps his uh, like beret on. I actually think a couple of years ago that they put out a figure of Flint in the Cobra gear that was, you know, pretty much pulled from this episode. And I've always wanted that one. I never actually tracked it down. Uh, rewatching the episode, I definitely need to make that a priority to go track that figure down. Uh, I love the bar fight. Uh, that was a great kind of action-packed romp there. And just, uh, and then, uh, of course, we get a good old shipwreck uh, introduced here. And then, uh, like you guys kind of alluded to earlier, definitely a lot of duplicity uh, between this series and the original one. Here they go and they kind of avoid following the mass uh, device plot elements. Or they go and, you know, make the mirror device instead of just saying, we need to make a new mass device. <laughs> but then, in the end, they pretty much just end up copying the, or, you know, revisiting that plot anyway because now it's broken the parts and you need to go track the parts down. So we're right back to... There's always a scavenger one. hunt in these... Yeah. In the, like, the yeah. five-episode miniseries that Jedja did, there's always a scavenger hunt. So. Yeah. So, overall, I mean, it was a good, entertaining episode. I Definitely my highlights, probably the, the intro and then uh, probably the, the bar fight scene and Flint uh, walking around in kind of the Cobra disguise. Um, yeah, it's funny. So, I mean, it, it was enjoyable, but it was no uh, cold slither. <laughs> well, it's funny, Aaron, when you said that you thought the, the arena of sports sequence sort of reminded you of Tron... Um, once Mutt and Flint take on the Cobra Trooper uniforms and they're walking around kind of undercover, I got a very sort of Star Wars feel when Han and Luke take the Stormtrooper uniforms, which is funny because then you also mentioned how Shipwreck is introduced basically as a mercenary for hire. He's not, you know, it doesn't seem like he's coming from within the ranks of the actual military or Navy, uh, so he kind of has like a little bit of a Han Solo vibe to him too. But yeah, the, the bar fight there is really cool. And I actually made a note that I didn't think the animation in this episode was as strong in a lot of cases. There were definitely some moments where Flint and Lady J and some other characters, they looked a little off model. I thought the animation looked a little rough or a little rushed, but there were still some great moments. And it seems like every episode, the artist will put a little flourish into a moment that might not even be in the script, but they just add a little nice touch. And I thought in the first episode, it was that moment during the opening battle when Scarlet is driving the vamp and there's an explosion. She kind of drives out of the way and then she readjusts her hair. She pulls a strand of hair out of her face. In this one, I thought that flourish was during the bar fight. And we get, we get a shot where we're just kind of looking at the piano player in profile and some <laughs> bodies go like flying past the foreground of like the scene and it like shakes the ground and his sheet music starts to fall and the piano player has to like reach up and grab it and like steady his sheet music and goes back to playing without missing a beat. And I'm like, 
who, who came up with that idea? Like, that couldn't have been in the script. It had to just be, like, the animators just throwing that in. But it was wonderful. It's this great little humanizing moment that kind of elevates the show and makes you, like, makes it more realistic in a weird way. Uh, so I love that. That was, like, one of my favorite moments in the whole episode is just that little bit where we see the piano player readjust his sheet music. Um, yeah, I like that also. That was a nice uh, touch. Uh, a few other, I mean, Kyle mentioned uh, Roadblock's Sacrifice, um, and again, another parallel, because it comes almost at the exact same time, it's a lot like Snake Eyes' his Sacrifice in the first miniseries, where, you know, he's he's locked into the base with the radiation, and we think he's going to die. Roadblock seems to kind of be going on the same side adventure in this one. Um, th- this whole series made me love Roadblock, uh, just from the first time when he, when he slices at one of the vines and says, let go my leg, sucker. <laughs> I love this guy. I love this guy so much. So. Yeah, he's pretty much like, uh, the Mr. T of, uh, mm-hmm. the G.I. Joe team. But he makes or it. He, or he reminds me a lot of, uh, Scatman Crothers, uh, Jazz in, mm-hmm. uh, the early, uh, first two seasons there of Transformers as well. Yeah. Well, the only comment I really have to fault that is, is unlike, uh, Kyle, I, I actually like the hood of Cobra Commander look better than the, the, the uh, what, the visor look. Or the helmet, the helmet look. I don't know, something about that, the, the mask on him, just, I really like. That, that's my favorite version of Cobra Commander. Really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't know what it is, just something about that. The way that mask looks, I don't know, just, where do you, where do you stand on this, Ryan? If you had to rank, uh, the, you know, original faceplate versus the hood versus the kind of the techno helmet with the uh, the headset. Um, I used to prefer the hooded one. Like for a long time, that was my favorite one. Um, as I, I don't know why, but just over the last couple of years, the original silver faceplated one has kind of creeped up, and I think that one is my favorite. But the hooded one is a close second. So, wow. And really, I don't, it's, from an action figure and comic standpoint, I, I don't have any issue with the hood one. It just does not translate well to the animation all the time. There are a few uh, oh, shots where it that. just didn't didn't look right in, in oh. this episode, and so that's definitely sorry. My comments were more directed at that, um, but uh, I no, think I, my I, favorite. I, I agree with that. I think the. There are a lot of times, again, kind of going back to where there are times when the art just looks a little weird or a little rushed. I think there are definitely times when the hooded mask look for Cobra Commander doesn't look as good in the show. I think my, my favorite's probably got to be the the third, kind of the the, the helmet with the, the headset and kind of the uh, powder blue look. That's, mm-hmm. yeah, that one is, uh, yeah. Cobra Commander, yeah. Yep. I like that, I like that one, too. Of course, that, that's, one, that's the issue... When they introduced that one in issue 58, 59. Yeah, somewhere around there. That's what got me into G.I. Joe comics. So that one got a special place in my heart. So. <laughs> Anyways, uh, do you have any other thoughts there, uh, Ryan, on this episode? Yeah, just one more little line that kind of has always kind of stuck with me. And I, I had the same thing when, and when we did the first episode 
when I mentioned that Flint's line, a snake is a sneak spelled backwards or something, where the hell did that line come from? This episode has another one of those, and it's when Doc is doing the demonstration for the energy mirrors, and he's standing behind one, and Blowtorch comes out, and he's like, Doc, are you sure you want to do this? And Doc says, no, but don't worry, I'm wearing my asbestos underwear. I'm like, who the heck came up with that line? Like, what the? But I've always loved that that phrase. It's like, asbestos underwear. Yeah, that's going to make him fire retardant. Okay. Yay, testicular cancer. <laughs> no. It's only like so when you read that, but. Uh. But that's it. I, I enjoyed the episode again. This is. And, and yeah, Kyle. Uh, absolutely made the point because he was gone the last episode. I so love the intro to this miniseries. It's it's a close second for me behind the the intro to the G.I. Joe the movie. Um, oh man, of, that movie intro is just great. Yeah. Yeah, it looks like we all agree on that then. I, I like the movie intro and this this is a very good intro. I like this intro to this one also. Mm-hmm. Much like uh, Kyle would say, I, I like the uh, Dreadnoughts like, in fact, they're prominent in it. So, yeah, it's, it's a very good intro. I like it myself. So, that's one thing we all agree on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, Kyle, did you have any other thoughts on this episode or any last thoughts on it? Nope. Uh, two uh, pretty enjoying uh, romps into the uh, G.I. Joe Real American Hero world. So, two uh, pretty enjoyable uh, stories, both on the cartoon and comic book front here. Unless someone has something else want to throw in, I guess we'll wrap it up for uh, the second episode of the Revenge of Cobra. And uh, before I let you guys go, uh, we're going to call it a day here. Uh, Kyle, why don't you tell everyone where they can find you out on the interviews? I have a number of podcasts available on the King Size Comics Giant Size Fun podcast feed. You can find that on iTunes just by searching for King Size Comics Giant Size Fun. Or you can go to the blog headquarters, which is uh, King Size Comics, Giant Size Fun, .blogspot.com. And I also have another podcast that celebrates Superman and the original Captain Marvel. And that is the Superman and Captain Marvel Power Hour podcast, which is available on iTunes. And then the website for that is Superman, Captain Marvel, Power Hour, .blogspot.com. And Mr. Daly, I want to tell where they can find you at. Uh, three podcasts, the Secret Origins podcast, Power of Fishnets, a Black Canary and Zatanna podcast, and Give Me Those Star Wars, which is a Star Wars podcast, interestingly enough. And those are all part of the Fire and Water podcast network. Very good. Well, again, thank you both very much for joining me for the, again for this episode. And I guess I'll see you guys, uh, I'll have you guys back next month for episode 10 when we get into Springfield. Uh, again, Ryan, Kyle, thank you very much, and we'll talk to you guys later. And Yo, Joe. Go, of course, <laughs> knowing it's half the battle. Yo, Joe. <laughs> Yo, Joe. And welcome back. I now present to you Postbox the Pit. I'm going to finish this episode by myself. It was getting late, and I had family stuff to take care of, so uh, here we go with Postbox the Pit for this episode. Over on Twitter, we have likes and retweets by Alan Middleton, R-Man Rosmilla, BC Fan 101, Captain Marvel, Comics and Coffee Blog, David Gallar, DC in the 80s, Fire and Water Network, Firestorm Fan, Gen X-Wing Podcast, 
Ginny9577, Hicks, Jason Pickering, Kara Corell, Cord Industries, KSCGSF, Luke Dobwalker, Martin Gray, Private Label Lab, Rob L., Sean Corey, Stephen Bird, Swamp Thang, Sin, Tracker Talk, Waiting for Doom, Warlord Worlds, Will Yarborough, Esco ah, try that again, Exo Stencil, The Hammer Strikes, and Pietro Blaxamoff. And then moving over quickly to Google+. Again, I don't check that very often, but when I do, uh, I like to read off what I see. So far this month, there's only one person, our buddy Gene Hendricks. And then over on the Facebook, there's Brent McMillan, Coffee Comics Blog, Comic Reviews by Walt, David Pascarella, Doug Miller, Fernando Cunton Rocha. Apologize, I missed your name up there, sir. Our buddy Gene Hendricks, Jeffrey Smith, Joe Fishman, Kevin Thomas King, Kyle Knox, Michael Olmsted, Peter Thiel, Richard Field, Roderick Castle III, and Steve Rittner. And over on Facebook, uh, Richard Field commented on a previous episode. He says, awesome podcast as always, guys. It's one that doesn't have shag on it, and thank God. Just kidding. I was a fan of G.I. Joe from the beginning. In 1982, I was in the fourth grade and stayed with it till the very end. I had most of the figures pretty much until 1987, where I stopped collecting toys and moved on to more comics. I still watched the cartoon and even bought some of the Action Force Weekly comics. There's a major difference in the book, and I hope you cover this in the future podcasts. Uh, this is me talking real quick, interrupting. Um, I don't have any plans to cover the Action Force Weekly comics at this point, uh, but you never know. I do plan on covering, like I said, the main G.I. Joe series. One special mission startup, we'll cover that one. Uh, at some point, I plan on fitting in the Order of Battle some way and the G.I. Joe vs. Transformers, at least the first miniseries. Uh, as far as other coverage, we'll see what happens. I do want to cover some more of the toys as we did for our Christmas episode. Um, what else is there? Like I said, we're going to cover the entire TV series. We'll cover G.I. Joe the movie, the animated movie. Uh, I hope to do a couple of... Uh, Specials or something where I can review the Rise of Cobra and Retaliation movies. Uh, but as for Action Force Weekly, I don't have plans at this point. But Richard, stay tuned and maybe we'll try to squeeze them in there. Uh, back to Richard's comments. Uh, he said, Flint and Lady J seem to be favorites in that series. I often wonder if I'm the only one that hated Duke. He just seemed like he was goody-goody for my taste, much like Joe or John Cena is in wrestling today. I know this random thoughts, but if you cover the Order of Battle books, you might want to take note of Rocky Balboa was a character who never appeared in the comics. I wonder if Larry Hammond approved of this character bio. Again, uh, this is me piping in. Uh, I did hear, I do know that in the Order of Battle, I think it was the second book, or maybe it was the first one, they did have a Joe character named Rocky Balboa. Uh, I don't know any further details. I'm going to have to, I'm gonna have to look at that before we get to the Order of Battle. I, do know, I don't know if it was a proposed character. Or that slipped through, or what happened. But I'm assuming it was Larry Hammond approved, because Larry did most of the, the uh, bios for the characters and their file cards. Uh, that's what we have to look into. Back to Richard's comments. Uh, he says, and let me see, we're talking about Larry Hammond approving of the character bio for Rocky Balboa, and he says, and if you had any day 
so about Rowdy Piper joining Cobra later on. He's made into an action figure. As I said, random thoughts. My favorite episode was in the one where they had low light in the junkyard hunting snakes and the two-parter where they had the Earth 2-like world. I enjoyed that Earth 2 world. Again, this is Aaron piping in. I enjoyed that Earth 2-like world also. I think it was Clutch. I didn't want to say it was Clutch. Maybe Breaker. I forget now. Yeah, I went to an alternate, a mirror, mirror world or Earth 2, whatever you want to call it. It was a good episode. Anyways, back to finish up Richard's comments. He says, well, I can't wait to hear you guys' thoughts. Waiting for another podcast. Keep up the awesome work. Well, Richard, thank you very much for your thoughts. And as long as you guys keep listening, we'll keep reading and talking about it. So, Moving on to other comments. I shared a video uh, on the Facebook page. And Kyle Knox commented. He said, cool. I just DVR'd the cartoon episodes that introduced him. Share with my kids. I think it was the one of Serpent. I think it was the video I shared of Serpentor on it. I'm not mistaken. Also on Facebook, Brent McMillan said, making the daily commute so much better. Thanks so much for the effort you put onto the show. Well, again, thank you very much, Brent. Again, I'm glad you guys are enjoying the show. Please definitely write in and let us know what you think. Also, I'm talking about Facebook. I want to give a shout out to uh, a website I recently came across, a Facebook group. It's at www.facebook.com slash facesarmy. So it's www.facebook.com slash facelessarmy. And I think about I'll throw a, note in the sh- a link in the show notes about this. Uh, this is a Facebook group to get dedicated to Cobra. They post pictures of the Joe and Cobras in various poses. I like the picture I've seen so far. Well, I guess more time I need to look through it further. But yeah, definitely, if you're on Facebook, check out Faceless Army. Uh, they're a, a site dedicated to Cobra. Uh, moving on to emails. Uh, we have an email from Clinton Robinson. And Clinton writes, Aaron, another wonderful episode. You guys have definitely got this podcast thing figured out. Lots of fun and nostalgia were held by all three hosts. I fully agree on the topic of either you like Flint or you like Duke. I was always a Duke fan as a kid. But my friend who was also into the Joes was a Flint fan. The friendly rivalry extended to the comics too, as he was Team Storm Shadow and I was Team Snake Eyes. Uh, this is me popping in again real quick. Go Snake Eyes. <laughs> Back to Clinton's letter. Pretty sure he preferred the fully armored Cobra Commander that got introduced later on, while, he, while I was always a fan of the hooded look. I guess some things in Joe are a little more polarizing. Uh, again, this is me popping in. You heard us talk this episode a little bit about... The hooded look, the masked helmet, and then the fully armored Cobra Commander. So it's got our thoughts on that. Back to Clinton's email. Regarding Zartan and the Dreadnoughts, I'm surprised nobody mentioned that Zartan's skin-changing colors was a direct reference to his toy. The toy version of Zartan was supposed to change colors after extended exposure to sunlight, but I'm still not sure what purpose it was supposed to have or serve other than the indicative is disguisability. Also, I'd once heard that Zartan and the Dreadnoughts, at least the original three, were designed with Ozzy Osbourne and the members of the Metallica in mind. I'm not sure if this is actually true, but it could help explain why they went with the more exotic voice for Zartan and why they did Cold Slither Rot Root episode of the show. Thank you for paying out such a wonderful podcast. You guys keep doing what you're doing. Um, again, thank you very much, Clinton, for writing in. I appreciate your, your thoughts and your comments. Uh, I never really thought about the Zartan and the Dreadnoughts being based on Ozzy and Metallica, but it makes a little bit of sense. And uh, I don't remember if we talked, I guess we didn't talk about the toy, but yeah, the action figure over Zartan had a skin-changing 
thing also. And as we decided so far, it's basically the reference that he's a, a, a vampire. Just our thoughts. Anyways, quickly moving on over to the iTunes. I know it's been a while since I've checked. I don't remember the last ones I read, so I'm going to read most of them again. I know I read Jeans back in October. So we're going to start with ones from this year. So the first one I'm going to read is uh, Yojo Takes for the Memories is the subject by Neomorph8. And this was back in January the 23rd. Uh, Neomorph says, If you're a G.I. Joe fan, this podcast is a must and should be added to your podcast caster. This podcast covers the original G.I. Joe comic... Try that again. Covers the original G.I. Joe comic book and cartoon series with a fun, nostalgic look at all these comics, classic stories. Relive your childhood and listen to this podcast. Yojo. Next one read off is by, oh, help me here, Michael Lindsay, I believe it is. His subject is Knowing is Half the Battle. He says, I am so happy to discover this podcast. G.I. Joe was a book that got me into comics, and it was a treat to see such a great podcast devoted to these comics. The hosts are doing a fantastic job, and this is a show that any fan of G.I. Joe or just any classic comic book can enjoy. Next one we'll move on to, I'm sorry, uh, Michael's was from February the 17th. Next one is from March 12th by Milo Evil. He says, Yojo. And his, uh, that's his subject line. His comment is, great podcast for real G.I. Joe fans of the cartoon and comic books. Moving on to March 16th by Halloween 4 and 5 Rock. Uh, Halloween says, this is an awesome podcast. What I love to do is listen to this podcast along with the Star Joe's podcast. That way you cover all your Joe needs. These guys in the Star Joes are who let the dogs out. And finally, uh, this one, it's the last one on the list here, but it goes back to December the, th- December the 30th of 2015. Again, I'm not sure if I've uh, read this one or not, so I'll read it again. Uh, it's by Saya Mysenko. And Saya says, the subject line is, Cobra! And Saya says, any fan of the Joe comics done by Marvel will love these reviews. Also cover the movies, cartoon, and figures. These guys know their stuff and aren't afraid to show it. I just wish the co-hosts would get code names too. Well, I want to first of all thank all you guys that wrote reviews in. I apologize for not getting these sooner. I tend to forget about going to iTunes and checking the reviews. But I appreciate these. Um, to Saya, I will talk to the other hosts about maybe starting some code names for ourselves. I'll get back to you on that. And finally, the last comment on this, I do want to say, if you guys enjoy this review, or this, the show we're doing, please write a iTunes review. If you write an iTunes review, it can help everyone find us a little easier. It can help out... Uh, I said, help people find us on iTunes better and help us get a higher rating so more people can actually check us out. Uh, but I think that's about it for today. So again, as usual, feel free to write in your thoughts. You can send them to G.I. Joe at headspeaks.com. You can go into iTunes, please, and write us a review. Uh, you can also go to the Facebook page at facebook.com slash G.I. Joe, a real American headcast. You can leave comments on there. Our blog page, which is at G.I. Joe.headspeaks.com. Uh, where I post every episode on there. You can leave a comment on that uh, blog post. Uh, But definitely write in, let us know what you think, give us your thoughts. 
Uh, and again, you can find me on my four different podcasts. My main one is Head Speaks, where I talk about comics and geeky things. You have Task Force X, which I basically talk about uh, John Ostinger's 80s and early 90s Suicide Squad comic and Paul Kupperberg's Checkmate comics. Uh, then we have this episode, this podcast here, G.I. Joe, or Real American Headcast, where myself and my fellow co-hosts, as you guys know, talk about the G.I. Joe comic series from the 80s, and we also cover the cartoons. And my newest adventure is the Starman Manhunter Adventure Hour, where I talk about Will Payton's Starman series and the Mark Shaw Manhunter series, both from the late 80s, early 90s. Great series I love talking about. Um, check out all my shows. and They're also available on the Headcast Network. That's one feed where you get all my shows. If you want to subscribe individually, check them all out. And as my co-host earlier talked about, check out their shows. They've all got great shows. In fact, here in a couple weeks, I will be appearing on Ryan's Secret Origins podcast to talk about the secret origin of Dr. Light from the Suicide Squad. Uh, check that out. But I guess I'm just babbling at this point. That'll, that'll do it for this episode. Once again, I want to thank both my co-hosts for joining me again for this episode. Uh, thank you, Ryan and Kyle, for, uh, again, talking G.I. Joe with me. I guess until next time, remember, knowing is half the battle. Yo, Joe. Is your mom there? No, I'm home alone. Well, you won a prize. What's your address? Uh, 42 Oak Street. Hey, Roblox, some stranger's bringing me a prize. A stranger, huh? All he wanted to bring you was trouble. Remember, never tell anyone you're home alone and never give anyone your address. I'll say mom can't come to the phone. Smart thinking. Now I know. And knowing is half the battle. G.I. Joe! G.I. Joe. A Real American Headcast is available monthly on iTunes, Stitcher, and at headspeaks.com. All characters and stories are owned and trademarked by the respective owners. We claim no ownership other than our opinions. All audio and images are used for entertainment purposes and falls under fair use. We make no money from this headcast. For more of the monthly G.I. Joe, check out the IDW series. For the stories we're covering, look for the comics and trade paperbacks. Let us know what you think. Send us an email letting us know your thoughts. Joe's dismissed um but definitely don't leave your comic store without getting a giant size man thing
Um, but definitely don't leave your comic store without getting a giant size man thing. Who here likes comic books? Who likes superheroes? Who likes superhero comic books? From the 90s! That's what I thought. Hey there, I'm Nathaniel Wayne from the Council of Geeks, and though I've always loved superheroes, the only time I was buying monthly issues was during the much maligned 1990s. I've decided to go through my personal collection, issue by issue, and in my own little way, try to answer the question, were 90s comics really that bad? Chances are the answer will be yes, but I think these books deserve another chance, and they're going to get it on 90s Comics Retrial, part of the Council of Geeks podcast, available on iTunes and at 90scomicsretrial.wordpress.com. Doom Patrol. 1963. Doom Patrol debut. My Greatest Adventure, issue 80. 1964. My Greatest Adventure, renamed Doom Patrol. Issue 85. 1968. Doom Patrol Destroyed. Issue 121. 1976. The New Doom Patrol. Showcase 94. 1987. Doom Patrol Volume 2. Copperberg Lytle. 1989. Morrison and Case. Issue 19. 1993. Pollack. Issue 64. 2001 Doom Patrol Volume 3 Arcudi Hewitt 2004 Doom Patrol Volume 4 Burn Shush 2009 Doom Patrol Volume 5 Giffen Clark 2012 2013 2014 2015 2016 Waiting for Doom, the Doom Patrol podcast, because we're waiting. Available on iTunes, Stitcher Radio and Podbean.com. Hi, friends. It's your old pal, Adam Worth. You may remember me from podcasts like Comic Book Fight Club, The Quantum Cast, and the thousands of other shows I somehow get roped into making guest appearances on. The podcasting world has been very good to me, and I feel it's about time that I give back. So coming this spring, I'll be helping to make the world a better place with my new show, The Bad Advice Show. Join me and a few <clears throat> choice panelists as we answer your questions on life, love, relationships, history, life hacks, and politics. Really, whatever topics you feel you would like to get my valued opinion on. So hop on the advice train as we make the world a better place coming this spring to an internet streaming device near you. To have your questions answered on The Bad Advice Show, Send us an email at thebadadviceshow at yahoo.com. That's thebadadviceshow at yahoo.com. And remember, kids, if you want to remain anonymous, don't tell me your name.